1: Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm John Hodge, joined by JC Abbott. Today, we're discussing the CFLPA's first strike in almost 50 years.
2: The possibility of a new collective bargaining agreement being agreed upon shortly.
1: Riders head coach Craig Dickinson's thoughts on the CFL's new hash marks.
2: The Elks cutting two veteran Canadians
1: and Trey Ford possibly being used in a variety of ways in Edmonton. But first, the Canadian Football League's Players Association is on strike for the first time since 1974, JC, after they failed to reach an agreement on a new collective bargaining agreement ahead of the deadline Saturday night. With preseason games now on the line, there's one scheduled for Monday in Regina. Who is going to blink first?
2: I think it will be the league that blinks more than the players do. Uh, There'll have to be some movement on either side, obviously, to get this done. But the way I see it right now, the players are galvanized, and, and the league has massively overplayed their hand, and now they've got a mess Uh, in front of them they have to deal with that and so they have to do some of these reasonable asks that the players have when it comes to being more transparent on revenue sharing I think that movement's going to come pretty quickly here and we could have a deal uh, within the next 24 to 48 hours
1: I think we will have a deal in the next day or two I think we're closer to the end of this strike than we are to the beginning of the strike and I think at the end of the day, it comes down to leverage. And right now, the players have a lot of it, right? Players do not make their normal game wage for preseason games. They do get paid, but it's it's like 20% of a normal game wage. And they don't get paid to practice in training camp. So if you're in a position where you're not missing out on any meaningful revenue until the regular season gets underway as a player, you're happy to sit and not bang your body against a 300-pound man in training camp, risking injury, right? As opposed to the league that's going, wait a minute, we actually make a lot of money on these preseason games because season ticket holders all have to pay full price for their preseason ticket, or at least most do. I shouldn't say all do. Uh, Attendance is generally good. People are generally happy to get to the stadium for preseason games because it's their first chance to get out, enjoy the nice spring weather, get back to the stadium, have a couple of beers, see their friends they maybe haven't seen right in their section since the previous season. And of course, hope springs eternal, right? Every fan is excited about their team in May. They're not always excited about their team in October or November, but you know, those games where they don't have to pay the players very much are big money makers for teams across the league. And so I think the players have been smart. I think they've realized we've got a lot of leverage in the short term and we should use it to our advantage and show the league that we're not afraid to go on strike for the first time in almost five decades
2: ultimately what i hope the takeaway from this has been and you never know with the cfl what they'll ultimately interpret this as but that the the league needs the players more than the players need the league and i think anyone with half a brain could have told you that coming out of the COVID 19 pandemic when all these players realize is that there was other opportunities off the field that they could make good money, that football wasn't the only thing out there for them. That's part of the reason why we have this strike is because all these players have realized, well, if I'm not going to get a fair wage or I'm not going to be a partner with the league I'm playing in, then why would I bother when I just spent a whole year you know, learning how to work in an office or becoming a teacher or becoming a fireman? I have this job that can pay me pretty equivalent money, sometimes more in some situations, and I don't have to bang my head up against a 300-pounder every day. I don't have to risk injury and long-term effects. If they're not going to pay me what I'm worth, then why would I play football? And the year off really helped players realize that. I don't think the CFL entered this negotiation with that understanding. I hope they realize it now.
1: I agree. And, and to the league's fairness and to their credit, they have reportedly offered some concessions that I never thought we would see. One is the possibility of veteran contracts being guaranteed. Four multi-year deals. Not the first year of the deal, but second or third years of those long-term contracts being partially guaranteed. I never thought we would see that in the CFL. I never thought the league would agree to that in a million years. Reportedly, they have. That would be a huge step to ending the transiency issue that we have in the league, where veteran players are are playing with team Y one year, Team X the next, and Team Z the year after that. Fans hate it. I don't think the players like it either, to be quite honest, and this is a good concession from the league. The other thing that I'll say, and this is my personal opinion, the players seem to have pushed back hard against the possibility of having 12 padded practices a season. Anybody who plays along the offensive or defensive lines – and that's oftentimes where we stick Canadian players right, to meet the ratio requirements – knows you need to be able to have contact in practice in order to continue developing 12 hours of contact a season is not a big ask. That's an area that I believe the CFL players should have some give here. And again, if we are close to a deal, which I believe we are, then I do think that that is hopefully an area that the league will, will actually get their way. Cause I do want to see the return of padded practices. I've talked to, to coaches before players before after training camp, they put the pads away, and I, I've 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 had people tell me they said, "Well, I guess that's our last padded practice of the year." And the American rookies think they're joking. It's like, really seriously? We don't have to. We don't have to do this all year. They're flabbergasted. So I would like to see the return of padded practices. But by and large, JC, I do agree with you. The league needs the players more than the players need the league, right? Nobody pays to watch a bunch of men in suits making decisions in a boardroom. They pay to watch spectacular catches, big hits, and touchdowns. That's what they want to see. The players are essential to the success of the CFL.
2: I also want to see the return of padded practices, but I think the PA is right, and I think they have their priorities in order to use that as a leverage point to try and get better injury protections down the down the road. Because sometimes I've been critical of the PA in the past for focusing strictly on monetary issues and trying to get short-term gain, gain in that regard, and then leaving – some of that that long-term injury protection, making that a concession. I don't want to see that in the future. I want to see these players protected so that we don't have situations like Jonathan Hefney in the future. But you make a good point, Hodge. There's been some good movement on the league side. I don't want to be entirely critical of them. What I will say is that the the linchpin issue right now, this revenue sharing uh, by the league, which they're not allowing to be audited, is ridiculous to me that they would not allow that to happen. That has to move in my mind, and that's where the league's playing hardball. I think of it this way. Imagine you're a visiting football team, and you're going on the road. You show up at the stadium, and the field doesn't have any lines on it. Right? There's no lines. (laughs) There's no yardsticks. The referees are paid by the home club, and they say, Look, we want to play a football game. We need two sides to play a football game but we'll determine when you get a first down or when you score a touchdown. Trust us, we'll do that. Well, that's just not a way, you can't play a game in that manner. And that's exactly what the league is doing here with revenue sharing. It's not a big ask to to open up the books, to allow it to be audited, to make sure that 25% mark is being hit every year so the players are getting what they're being promised. And if you're agreeing to that 25%, you'd think you'd also agree to making sure it's accurate.
1: I couldn't agree more, and and Randy Ambrosi has probably used the word partner or partnership uh, about a billion times, right, when referring to the players over the last year. We want to be partners with our players. We want to be in a partnership. We enjoy this partnership we have. We value our partnership with the CFLPA. Well, prove it, right? Put your money where your mouth is. A partnership cannot be successful when one partner is keeping critical information from the other. And by the way, if I'm a business owner, I see this percentage business as a win. Right. That means I don't have to pay the the players any extra money if I'm not making any extra money. Right. Rising tide lifts all boats. If times are good. Great. The players get more money. If times are bad. Well, okay, at least we don't have to pay the players more. Right. To me, that percentage issue should be a win one more note we should move on but one more note on padded practices i want to say is i think we have to have some faith in coaching staffs to make sure that these padded practices are are being used properly right if i'm if i'm dave dickinson i'm not saying oh great we got padded practices today all right let's put let's let's have reggie Bagleton run over the middle 200 times and and get de by our starting middle linebacker like no let's have the backup Canadian offensive and defensive linemen, you know, who are out of Western, out of UBC, out of, you know, Saints FX, guys who need those reps, critically need those reps to continue developing. Let's get them in those padded practices. But no, you're not going to have your Bolevi Mitchells and your Reggie Bagletons, you know, taking those hits. And you're probably not having a guy like Derek Dennis, right, who's been an all star in this league, who's an aging left tackle, right? You're probably not having him bang bodies for an hour. You can use those. Padded practices wisely. And I think the players have to trust their coaching staffs at least a little bit because it's not in the best interest of the team if their veterans are getting hurt. And by the way, having better offensive line play, is that not the best way to prevent quarterbacks from getting hurt? Because if your third best receiver gets hurt, like that's unfortunate for your third best receiver, but fans are still showing up. If your starting quarterback gets hurt, all of a sudden you've got people who are not going to be as quick to come out and buy a ticket to come to your game.
2: Absolutely. Now, the only teams that are having padded practices right now are the Edmonton Elks and Calgary Stampeders because they're not allowed to go on strike until the end of practice at uh, tomorrow at 1225 Mountain Time due to some stringent Alberta labor laws. Now, what effect will this training disparity have on the CFL season once it begins, Hodge?
1: Well, I do think that if you are... A non Alberta CFL team, you would start to have some serious concerns about this, right? We know that teams across the league are having informal workouts at public parks at various places, right? Lots of veteran players are running drills for younger players to ensure that they're fresh and they're learning. I'm sure there are some incognito positional meetings happening, right? Where coaches are, you know, not officially, but probably getting involved with their players and ensuring that they're going to be ready to go for the season. But there's no replicating the real thing. And obviously, players in Calgary and Edmonton have been able to have real practices and start implementing their actual offensive, defense, and special team systems. So it is becoming an unfair advantage in my mind because. You've only got two teams who are in this boat. And oh, guess what? By Thursday, by the time this podcast is a day old, I'm guessing the players will not be on strike anymore. In which case, you've given a huge run-up of advantage for these two Alberta-based squads.
2: Yeah, and I'm not sure if that advantage trickles into the regular season as much as some would assume. Like there is a enough of a ramp up period that maybe maybe it affects week one, but week two, week three we'll get on a more level playing field. What I'm more concerned about is maybe the safety implications of a preseason game. When you've got a squad that's been preparing full speed for four extra days and they have to come up against a bunch of rookies who don't even know the rules yet because they weren't allowed to practice. I think that's where we'll see some effects. And I wonder how the league will be able to manage that uh, going forward here.
1: It's a fair question, and that first preseason game that is scheduled for Monday the 23rd in Regina between Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, the nice part about it is, first of all, neither team has been formally practicing, so they're at least on a level playing field. And then secondly, I think that game could be moved relatively easily. The preseason game is 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 four days ahead of the other preseason games that are scheduled. And let's also not forget that you can play two preseason games on a short timeline, right? Because a short timeline for a regular season game is a disaster. You got a game plan. You got to make sure you guys are healthy. Well, guess what? If two preseason games. Preseason games are played a few days away. First of all, you're not scheming anything other than this is our base offense or base defense. Let's see how this young talent plays as we evaluate them. And secondly, You're rotating players so much, I don't think you're necessarily creating a higher risk of injury, right? It's not a game where you're going to say, okay, this guy's the starter. He's going to play every snap. And by the way, four days from now, you're also going to be a starter and play every snap in the preseason. Historically, that's never how preseason games have worked. You'll have your starters go out, play a quarter or two at home. They give way to the backups. And then a lot of your veteran players, even backup veterans, don't even go on the road game, right? You send your absolute rookies, you know, you dress a skeleton crew on the road. So I do think that you could have that game pushed back because you can have games played close together in the preseason. And oh, by the way, we just saw one year ago, the CFL have Edmonton play. What was it? Three games or, or three games in seven days. And that was was. the regular season. So there's even a recent precedent in the regular season for doing this as crazy as that decision was.
2: Yeah, it was absolutely insane in that circumstance. I will say this. I don't think this strike is going to have massive implications in terms of our quality of play and, and things like that. That the miss COVID season did. There's there's a lot of doomsayers out there on the internet saying, oh, this is the end of the CFL. This strike is going to be absolutely horrific for the league. I'm not sure that's true. What I will say is I think most of the damage was done immediately when the strike was called. Because we live in a society, Hodge, that whether we like it or not. Very much relies on perception and first impressions, uh, you know, the the last news clip they hear. And as soon as the players went on strike, as soon as there was that black mark on the league, the CFO, which has struggled all offseason with having a positive narrative around it, had another black mark. Another reason for people to, you know, point at it, laugh at it, call it Bush League, all these things that the league has to push back against. And another reason for avid fans, uh, the people who read our site, ourselves included, just to be exhausted by the process of. of what's going on in this league, the constant controversies. I mean, I've only been involved bragging about the CFL since, since 2019. I've probably had four or five once in a generation catastrophic events or controversies that I've had to cover in that span. That's too much. So all the damage has already been done, whether the strike ends in an hour or in three days.
1: Yeah, and i'll say this i i think for fans the big issue here is just the exhaustion right that's come over the last few years let's remember the cfl did not simply cancel the 2020 season there were weeks and then months of uncertainty question marks you know nobody knew what was going on very limited communication whatsoever fans were left in the dark players were left in the dark they finally canceled the season in i believe it was august 2021 was shaping up to be the same way quiet radio silence i believe it was until may approximately a year ago and they said okay we're going to give this thing a try in mid-july with a regular season starting in august so we had no season a shortened season finally we're back to quote unquote normal life Following this awful pandemic, and it's a work stoppage, right? Had the CFL had a normal 2020 and a normal 2021, I don't think the reaction to this strike would have been nearly as negative. But because we're coming off of two very frustrating seasons for CFL fans that have culminated in more games being missed than played, and again, a lack of communication, a lot of uncertainty, I don't blame fans who are exhausted and frustrated by these moves.
2: And before we move on, I think it's worth pointing out that in there was the XFL controversy and the four down controversy and all sorts of conversations about the ratio, all things that matter deeply get CFL fans to that core fan base. And that adds to that exhaustion. So it's more than just the canceled season. It's everything in the narrative surrounding the league that they haven't been able to manage properly from a PR standpoint. And we're seeing the effects of that now in the way the fan base is reacting to the strike.
1: Well said, JC. An excellent point. The 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 narrative around the CFL has not been positive for a long time, and the best thing this league could do is get on the field and change that as soon as possible. Canadian quarterback Trey Ford says he is open to playing special teams in order to get on the field as a CFL rookie. He also hinted that he could be involved in the offense, though the team is currently simply implementing its base system. Do you believe that is proper usage for the exciting young rookie?
2: I'll be interesting to see how, it, see how it works out because Trey Ford, obviously an electric athlete. Uh, I think he's physical enough, even though he's a little bit small, you some him put up 17 reps on the bench at the combine. This is not a guy that's, that's going to shrink away from contact in my mind. I like the idea. Of getting them on the field in special teams. I like when quarterbacks do that. I think there's been success stories with that in the past. I often uh, compare the, the pick of Ford by Chris Jones in Edmonton to what he did in the 2015 season when they won that Grey Cup game. And Jordan Lynch was the third-string quarterback who played special teams. I think he had four or five special teams tackles that season and then two touchdowns in that Grey Cup game You know, uh, on, on short yardage sneaks. A really impactful short yardage special teams player. I think Trey Ford can be that instantly in the CFL, whether or not he's getting a lot of offensive reps. He can contribute in that way. And if you're a fan of a different CFL team, there is a current CFL starting quarterback who started out in that third uh, string special teams role. His name is Kogi Fajardo in Saskatchewan.
1: Exactly. And I'll say this. I mean, first of all, I'm just excited for for Trey Ford to see the field. Uh, But, you know, the, the thing that I found really exciting was when he teased in that interview that he did on the second day of training camp at Edmonton, saying, you know, offensively, you know, we'll see. He basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but you know, we're just in, in implementing our our base system, which to me means, or at least it's insinuating, there's gonna be some cool stuff on the periphery, some gadget plays, especially with the CFL changing the rule that allows multiple quarterbacks to be on the field at the same time. That tells me that Stephen McAdoo and that offense. Could have some interesting looks cooked up, and hey, if there's one thing that that you know I think could really inject some life into this season, especially early, is imagine Edmonton is able to cook up some things that nobody in this league has ever seen before during this because of this head start that they've been afforded in training camp, and the Canadian quarterback is at the center of it, using the elite athleticism that he has. You mentioned the testing numbers, JC. I think that would be an unbelievable way to kickstart this year.
2: Here's a really interesting scenario. Here's my galaxy brain idea. There is another Canadian quarterback in camp right now as well in Mike Beaudry. Now, I don't think he's starting caliber material like Trey Ford, but he's a massive man and reportedly is playing multiple different positions in this training camp. He's like 260 pounds and six foot five. So imagine a scenario, Hodge, thanks to this new rule where you have three quarterbacks on the field. You line them up in a split set. You've got whoever your starting quarterback is. You got Trey Ford at running back and Mike Beaudry at fullback. Who's going to get the ball? Who's going to throw it? It's an absolutely insane idea, but I desperately want to see it once we get a preseason game. I'm
1: not not sure you can have three. I think the limit might be two, but I'd have to double check. And if you can go to three, why stop at three? Let's have six quarterbacks behind a line of five O-linemen and uh, one receiver. Heck, why not?
2: (laughs) Now, reports out of Blue Bombers rookie camp indicate that kicker Ali Mortaga has looked good. And the second-year man says he is thankful for his struggles last season. Are you comfortable with the Bombers' kicking situation when training camps eventually open?
1: I'll say this. I want somebody to love me like Mike O'Shea loves Ali Mortada. He has been such a fervent defender of Mortada since he got to Winnipeg. And, And I'll give Mortada this. A lot of his struggles seem to be from the hash marks narrowing the hash marks primarily being an offensive move will have the side benefit for kickers having less severe angles right heading into those uprights so i mean his numbers were terrible last year there's no ifs ands or buts about it he only made eight of his 15 attempts it's barely 50 50 percent um but his converts were good, 17 of 18, and he did have the second best kickoff average behind only Boris Beatty, whose leg is unmatched in the CFL, at least in terms of raw power. So I think Mike O'Shea, given that he is, you know, maybe the number one expert on the planet when it comes to Canadian football special teams. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But I'll say this. If I was a Lee Mortada, I would not want to be at IG Field if I trot out there and missed my first field goal of the game in week one. That is going to be a crowd that flips like a pancake. Boom, you're done. And he's going to have a tough time winning that support back if he loses it.
2: Yeah, it's it all rides on that first miss that if it happens, not even on the first kick, I think in the first two or three kicks of the season, if he misses one, it's going to be an absolute, uh, you know, heel turn in that stadium against Ali Mortara. <laughs> amusing in this article is this poor man after all the struggles he's been through trained all off season on these Canadian hash marks. Now he's setting up cones at these marks to try and perfect his kicks. And then just before he arrives at his second training camp, they changed the hash marks on him. I think Ali Mortaga has had terrible luck in terms of, uh, uh, of that and, and Mike O'Shea giving him another opportunity now that the hash marks are back to someplace, he's hopefully more comfortable, I think is well-deserved.
1: And it, it should be noted as well. I mean, I, I will say, of all the players I've interviewed as part of covering the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Mortada is one of the most personable, likable individuals who really seems to have his head on straight. I don't know if that's part of Mike O'Shea's you know, uh, uh, support of him, but he is a very affable young man, uh, someone who it's hard not to cheer for him. And so I was pleased for, on a personal level to at least hear him say that he's not discouraged by what happened last season. It's time for Hodges Heritage Moment, JC. On this day in 2010, Kingston, Ontario native Corey Greenwood signed with the Kansas City Chiefs. As an undrafted free agent, the Concordia product would record 34 tackles over the next five NFL seasons as a member of the Chiefs and the Detroit Lions. Greenwood eventually reported to Toronto in 2014. He was a first round pick at the Argos and played three seasons there before moving on to Edmonton and Calgary. He made a total of 165 defensive tackles, 16 special teams tackles, five sacks, four forced fumbles, and one interception over his six-year CFL career. I'm curious, JC, what is your prevailing memory of Mr. Greenwood?
2: It's not so much a memory, but for me, I think everyone has a list in their head of players that they think would have been just absolute stars had they not suffered injuries. And Corey Greenwood, to me, is one of those players on that list. Really struggled to stay healthy throughout his CFL career, but had in linebacker was excellent when he was on the field. And I just wish he would have, you know, had a little bit more injury luck because we would have talked about him in the same vein as guys like Enoch Mwamba, if that was the case.
1: Absolutely. He was certainly a player who I think would have and could have done. A lot more in his career had he not suffered those injuries, Uh, and it's a shame because at the end of the day, he was an absolute baller. I would guess some of those injuries were probably related to just how much he ran on special teams in the NFL for those seasons with the Kansas City Chiefs and Detroit Lions, but absolute stud player was a pleasure to watch him play. It's time now, JC, for the three-minute drill. The Chicago Bears claim Canadian tight end Rice and John off waivers from the New York Giants. Could he make a big impact in the Windy City?
2: It'll be interesting to see. They clearly like him. It's not a player that was on everybody's radar. This is a make-or-break season for Rice and John in the NFL. The Edmonton Elks reported an operating loss of $1.1 million in 2021. Does that surprise you, Hodge?
1: It does to an extent because that stadium was a bloody desert for the last two or three games of last season as that team struggled and actually finished winless at home. This is why we need more transparency from all teams in the CFL because the CFL can't cry poor when Edmonton only lost a million bucks during all the the issues surrounding last year, including a terrible team on the field. Blue Bombers offensive tackle Jermarcus Hardrick received emergency roadside assistance from Alouette stars Vernon Adams Jr. and Jake Wieneke after learning they lived close to his offseason home in Nebraska. There was apparently a tornado there. Really messy situation. Fortunately, reportedly everyone's made it out perfectly safe. How cool is that? That Hardrick got assistance from two star CFLers.
2: It's pretty fantastic, and it shows that brotherhood that's unique to the CFL, I think, across all players because it's such a small, tight knit league that you can call up a guy that you've never played with and say, Look, I need some help in the middle of a massive storm, tornado, uh, power outages. Come get me. And that two of the biggest stars in the league show up to help you out. That's fantastic former NFL speedster DeAnthony Thomas did not attend BC Lions rookie camp and is reportedly not going to join the team at all this season. Is that a surprise, Hodge?
1: It is never a surprise when a big name former NFLer blows off the CFL even after signing a contract. The New York Giants hired Canadian Chris Rossetti as their new director of pro scouting. Is that a big deal?
2: It's a huge deal. This is a guy who's worked his way up from from the bottom, now is in a prominent role in the NFL, a former quarterback at the University of Guelph, a backup to our own Justin Dunk, and now he's making big-time decisions for the New York Giants. The Alouettes signed Tyrell Richards, the first overall pick in the 2022 CFL Draft. What are your expectations for him this upcoming season?
1: My expectations are high for Mr. Richards. I think he was head and shoulders the best non-quarterback in this draft. I think he's going to have the opportunity to go out and compete right away. My expectations are very high for him. The Lions released former Riders backup quarterback Isaac Harker. What does that mean for BC?
2: It means there's absolutely no chance as it stands right now that there will be an American playing quarterback for the BC Lions. Nathan Rourke is the starter. I think Michael O'Connor will be the backup. Isaac Harker was sort of that uh, next guy in to give them a little bit of a veteran presence. It's an insurance policy, if you will. They don't have that anymore, so it's the Canadians running the show, for sure, in BC. Edmonton released veteran safety Jordan Hoover and former first-round pick Tavon Smith which move did you find more surprising?
1: I'm not surprised by Hoover because Chris Jones has said Deron Carter could be the safety there in Edmondson. But I am surprised about Savon Smith. Makes me wonder if there was maybe a bit of a conditioning issue with how he came into camp. Canadian receiver John Metchie III signed his rookie contract with the Houston Texans. What are your expectations for the second round NFL draft pick?
2: I have pretty high expectations for him. I don't know if he's going to be in the upper echelon of of productive NFL receivers right away because that's not a tremendously good situation in Houston at quarterback with Davis Mills, the second-year man, who I believe was a third-round pick. Um, There's going to be some struggles, but he's certainly going to be at least the number two receiver in that offense. I think he can make a bunch of catches, probably put up, you know, 500 to 800 yards next season. The Riders signed Canadian tight end Bruno Labelle, the club's third round pick from 2021, after a stint in the NFL. Can he help them win
0: games? I
1: mean, Labelle is going to play like a hybrid, you know, fullback, H-back, tight end, special teams role. It's not one that gets fans talking, but Bruno Labelle is a fantastic football player. He is a super underrated addition to the Riders. Great signing former CFL defensive lineman Eddie Steele got his gray cup ring back three weeks after it was stolen from his car how sweet is that
2: that's incredible I'm glad to see that for Eddie Steele for anyone who's won a championship that ring is more precious than almost anything in your life you'll say your children are more important but that ring that's pretty special Canadian defensive lineman Daniel Joseph signed with the Buffalo Bills this past week. He was the fourth overall selection in the 2021 CFL Draft to BC. Do you think he can make an impact for Bills Mafia?
1: I think so. Daniel Joseph posted some pretty underwhelming testing numbers at the Pro Day that he attended. However, he put up great production the last two years with the Wolfpack. I think he can get it done. The film is better than the testing. Chris Streveler, as we're recording this podcast, has been waived by the Miami Dolphins, of course, former star CFL quarterback with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Do you think we could see him back in the CFL this year? I
2: wouldn't rule it out. It seems his time in the NFL was slowly coming to an end. There are teams that need quarterbacks, and Chris Jones seems to be looking for a guy who's especially mobile. I wonder if that's a fit in Edmonton. Riders head coach Craig Dickinson called the hash marks changing the most impactful rule change to the CFL this season. Do you agree, Hodge?
1: I do. I'm still high on the quarterback change. However, with that said, I think it's very cool that the hash marks have been changed. I think it's going to open up the boundary. I think it's going to bring the field side into play. I know that you and and Dunk, a couple of haters on change, didn't like it. But I'm all for it. I think it's good. And I think we're going to look back and say, you know what? We should have done this sooner. On that note, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. Join us next week for hopefully training camp. We'll see.
2: Fingers crossed.